Welcome to the Crypto Witch Club podcast, a space for all to learn about blockchain tech. Join us as we demystify NFTs, report on crypto culture, and navigate Web3. Hey, and welcome back to the Crypto Witch Club podcast. I'm Shireen, co-host and co-founder of Crypto Witch Club. On this episode, join me and fellow co-founder Caitlin as we dig into all things DeFi, share five of our favorite free crypto resources, and try to break down blockchain in 30 seconds. We'll also walk you through Web 1, Web 2, and Web 3, and what to expect from this new ecosystem. You know how we've been um, talking about building out reels mm-hmm. and new content? And as you know, I have trouble being concise. So verbally getting this content out was hard, but I think I figured out how to break down blockchain in 30 seconds <laughs> using some examples you gave me before. Okay. I loved when you talked about the train tracks. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to teach somebody who doesn't know anything about blockchain technology, maybe just knows like crypto or the keywords here and there. I want them to understand blockchain and then how it relates to cryptocurrency and NFT in 30 seconds. Cool. A blockchain is a growing list of records known as blocks. Each block contains information and together forms a chain that cannot be altered or corrupted. Think of it like an up Google sheet with the edit history on. Now imagine blockchain as train tracks. These train tracks are the foundation on which cryptocurrency and NFTs run on, the trains. The blockchain provides security through cryptography and infrastructure and keeps the cryptocurrency and NFTs safe without needing to be governed by a central figure or bank. And that's blockchain in 30 seconds. Cool. I like it. Now I need to know what cryptography means. Mm-hmm. And I need to know, also something that I was curious about is where crypto and NFTs run on. Yeah. Um, does that, is that encompassing everything or will more things be added to the train tracks? Or uh, like, don't NFTs represent crypto? Or it's a smart contract, right? Or Yeah, so NFTs can represent like a physical item, mm-hmm. for example. But an NFT can be so much more than digital art. Really, truly, your medical records could be trains running on these train tracks. Your house deed could be running on these train tracks. Um, your sanity, if you work in Web3. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I think maybe instead of saying cryptography, I can say using complex math or complex math equations. Okay. Or maybe just information. Maybe they don't, maybe the cryptography parts like already known. Like these blocks contain information because that's, it's more important to understand what each block in the blockchain holds, I feel like, than knowing how it got there. Maybe that's phase two, cryptography through the ages. Yes, I like that. I don't know anything about it. I actually, yeah, I actually need to get my history channel on. Yeah. Where um, Keith and I ran an agency for the past 
eight, nine years based in New York City. And we love branding and marketing. And one of my favorite things is watching the History Channel's Foods and Built America and seeing how all these huge brands developed and became like the iconic global powers they are now. It covers everything from Roy Crocker at McDonald's, Roy Croc actually, is his name, from McDonald's to the Wrigley Brothers to Marjorie Post, who has been my latest obsession. Um, but one thing I noticed just binging the series is the people that make these brands iconic are never usually the people who founded them or invent them. They're the people who either change the operational structure and reimagine it completely from the ground up in the marketers. It's the advertisers. So interesting. Like the people who made shovels during the American coal rush or the, the coal rush. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like those are the people who make consistent money. It's the people who gave the, who made the tools for mm -hmm. others to use. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, marketing is kind of like, a, people have a knee-jerk reaction to it. But I, in general, and I think because they've seen it done so poorly, if you see good marketing, you don't know you've been marketed to. It feels so organic. It feels wanted. It feels like something you actually need because mm -hmm. you're the audience and it's providing some sort of value. Good marketing provides value to the people who see it. But there's so much crap marketing out there that I feel like people get a knee-jerk reaction the same way people get a re like knee-jerk reaction to crypto who don't understand it. It's kind of like a dirty word. Mm -hmm. I like people who buy fashion magazines and like love all the front of the magazine, but then but they don't realize that those are the ads. Absolutely. Yeah. Or um, like product placement in music videos. Mm -hmm. Or in the Sex and the City show. Or the movies, you know, like vitamin water. Oh my God. <laughs> you can't go to Mexico without your vitamin water. <laughs> Literally, it was like it traveled with them wherever they went. Yeah. Like a display of it. <laughs> yeah, I think good marketing subtle. But I noticed especially just because we've been talking to so many people in Web3, and hearing about their products and their goals. And there's definitely like this resistance because I think people feel like it's inauthentic to share on a scale. I guess it's when once you scale something, you scale sharing your product. There's something there that I feel like makes founders feel like it's inauthentic. Yeah, like that advertising is obvious. Yeah, or like it can't be a good product if it's being advertised. Like, nobody will use it. Or, like, nobody must be using it because it needs to be advertised. Oh, like, there's no word of mouth. Right. But at the same time, it's like, and I wonder if maybe people on Web3 hate marketing because they've seen um, crypto and blockchain brands do it so poorly to a mass audience. <laughs> Not all. There's definitely some amazing campaigns um, we've seen from brands. I'm still obsessed with the Coinbase millennial bouncing QR code that's reminiscent of the DVD um, load screens or screensavers. But yeah, how do we reinvent 
marketing for Web3? Or do we not reinvent it? And we just rename and repurpose what it means to get your product out there for Web3? Well, I think it goes back to like how you like the Brave browser and how that's changing how we do advertising there. It's more about the creator and people. Right, like your the ownership of your content. Yeah. True. I mean, I think that's the Brave Browser, which we talked about on episode two. So listen in if you haven't listened to that episode yet. Um, that's definitely changing the creator's economy. And I, I'm excited to see what else is there. I want to build the next like Web3 platform for social media. Like I want to build the next like Web3 social media platform. So imagine okay. if like old school Facebook, like before it was like, all our like grandmas and teachers and <laughs> work colleagues were on it. But like, imagine having this social network where you had ownership and full autonomy of your profile and what you have on there. Is when, that what Web3 is? Yeah, already? but how do we build that infrastructure to actually make a really user-friendly social network? Because if you look at something like Instagram, I just put a bunch of wedding photos on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. Instagram owns that. Like anybody can borrow them or share them or do whatever with them. Mm -hmm. And that's great because I look good in them. So go ahead. But how do we, what does a platform like that look like? I think a cool example is Mirror as a decentralized content platform using right tokens and creating kind of that creator's economy there. I think that's a really good example. But what does it look like? as like a full social profile. I wonder if Web3 is the platform. Like if you, you have to think of it like more, um, because we're rethinking about the whole advertising circle, the life circle, the- Like it's more all encompassing than a single platform you're saying. Yeah, I don't think we need to make another platform. It's just Web3 is the platform. And yeah. You know I see I mean? what you're saying. Like, it's more expansive than having one network because yeah. that's so similar to a centralized platform. Yeah, it's just like Web3 is the network. But how do we build on that then? Because then I want kind of a square space for Web3 representation. How do you represent yourself on Web3 unless you're in a metaverse? I think it's participating in DAOs or just owning crypto or having an, it's like however you want to participate, however you want to do it. Yeah. If you want to be on a DAO, if you, if we want to build a clubhouse, like, or, you know, people, all different people are working for brands that are doing different stuff. Maybe that's how they want to participate. Yeah. Like, I think everyone's going to do it at their own speed and like. In their own way. Yeah. It's kind of funny because it's like when I had dinner with our friend a couple weeks ago. And I got into this space so much through cryptocurrency investing in 2017. And that's really my skill set, my knowledge base. That's definitely what I'm strongest at. Um, but then he got involved specifically because of DAOs. And I know other people get involved specifically for NFTs. It's kind of exciting what the gateway is for most people in this space. Yeah, I wonder... It's exciting to see where people, yeah, what, what excites them. Yeah. And no matter if somebody's gotten into it through 
crypto or NFTs or DAOs or the metaverse, the cool thing is I've noticed in the majority of people who get into whichever doorway they're coming through, there's really no going back. I feel like people flip a switch and they get it and then they're so excited and they just go like 100 miles a minute forward. And I think the fact that something could excite people that much and have this reaction that's really universal, I think, for the people who fully comprehend it and have had the chance to be educated in it, um, I think that's really exciting. Like, I love seeing it. It's kind of like going into, like, discovering the door to Narnia, like a whole new world. Yes, I was literally just thinking of the Nightmare Before Christmas when Jack's in the woods and he finds all the trees and one has, like, an Easter egg on it. One has um, a turkey and then he like sees the Christmas tree door and he's like, hmm, and like falls yeah. through it. That could be such a cute little meme if you had that. Like, oh. Meet you as Jack and then the different doors like DeFi, NFTs. It sounds like very RPG. Like yeah. nerdy, like you said, like, like I'm going to go LARP in the streets <laughs> of New York. See what people think. But it makes me want to dress up like um, Alana in that Broad City episode <laughs> all the time. Oh, my God. It's funny. Jack Skeleton was definitely my original celebrity crush. Oh, yeah. Hey, Shireen. Can you please tell me, like, what the what is Web3? And first of all, maybe you could explain what Web1 and Web2 is. Also. Yeah. Do you remember like really early internet, like when you first got internet? Like the dial up, watch out if someone's on the phone, it's not gonna work, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. With like our parents being like, get off the line, I have to make a call. Yep. Um, so web one is really defined as the earliest form of internet, which is read only. So think of web one as like before SEO even, um, which was, I think invented, created by Google, who started SEO. But um, think about something when it was read only. So for example, Netscape or early AOL, when you could go to websites and read information. Okay. That's web one. Web two is when the internet started getting really interesting and our parents started getting nervous because that's when like chat rooms came out and Friendster, and MySpace. And that's when you, Web2 is really when you got to like build an identity online. Okay, so it wasn't just consuming information, it was talking to people. Exactly, like being social, being able to establish an identity. Remember they used to have like the diaries online? Like, yes. Do you remember MySpace in college? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I don't remember your MySpace, but I loved on MySpace um, customizing everything because I was like a really angsty, artsy teenager. And I loved doing the wallpapers and like picking the music for your channel. Yeah. Um, it did get really petty on MySpace because they had the, the top eight. Like, like everybody was like, you take me to your top eight? Not to me, like, but just in general. I remember that being a convo in high school uh, with my friends being like, so-and-so removed me from their top eight. Does he not like me anymore? <laughs> like type of thing. So really the internet kind of from there to as we know it 
um, till pretty recently was Web2. Facebook's Web2. Um, the way a lot of people still engage online right now is Web2. So that's like Google, Amazon Web Services, yeah. Facebook. Instagram. Okay. Um, Web3 is when it gets really exciting because Web3 is when you have digital ownership. So Web3 is based on blockchain technology and decentralization. Um, in Web3, something that we didn't see before in Web2 are token-based economics as well. So that falls under things like DAOs, anything where we're really converting and we're using kind of a digital currency or a token to engage um, anything that's running on the blockchain, that's Web3. So, okay, so like kind of like when you're playing video games and you can like earn kind of like fake money by your gaming, this is like making it real? Absolutely. I think that's a, such a good example. And what really falls under the Web3 umbrella are the metaverse, okay. digital ownership and NFTs. This is the first time in history you could own something digital, which is super exciting. And then DAOs, which are short for Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Okay, cool. Because we grew up in a time where like we were we've been making all this free content. Like especially you. <laughs> you've well, been yeah. designing so much free content and putting so much free content out there just as an artist and designer. Right. I feel like this is huge for people like you, artists and designers and creators. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the creator economy. Can you explain? I, I understand it, but maybe you could explain it, break it down again. Yeah, so I think what Web3 really has to offer is digital ownership. So right now as a creator, um, if you are putting content online, your art online, images, photography online, there's no proof of ownership. platform owns it, right? If it's on it's, a social platform like yeah. Facebook or Instagram, they then have rights to it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, let's say it's just on your website. Let's say you are a photographer who built a beautiful Squarespace website as your mm -hmm. portfolio work. People can still take things off there and essentially claim it as their own and there's no proof that it's not. Once you incorporate blockchain, there's proof that something's yours because if there was a, a photo on Web3, but it was run on the blockchain to show you a digital ownership, to actually own that photo, you would need the numerical sequence associated with it. So okay. it, it goes into actually being able to own your work and profit from your work versus other people kind of being able to take it or claim it. Okay. I think wow, I wonder how art law is going to change in this digital ownership world. I think it's going to be crazy. I mean, I think there's there's so many like capabilities. I think it's so interesting to see um, who gets sued. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I think it's going to really shift in the artist's favor, though. Because 
I think you can make Twitter that's the the issue with the the Obama poster. Oh, the iconic Pope Charlotte artwork. Ferry's art mm -hmm. that was based off the Associated Press photographer's work. So he essentially yeah. took that photo of Obama from the AP. Mm -hmm. And he applied color to it and basically um, artified it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he made it into a silkscreen graphic. Yep. And then he was he was sued, and I think he lost. Um, I think that case was different because he was like kind of counter suing them before they sued AP. So it's, it's a whole a, mess. It was a mess. I'm not quite. I can't really recall how that all shook out, but I wonder what's going to happen. Like in terms of, I wonder if things will get tighter if that's artistic, you know, license and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it should be very interesting. And especially with um, the art laws surrounding AI and um, art that's made with machine learning. It should be, I think, I'm excited for the future. I think we're at like a new forefront. I think there's going to be so much messiness, but I also think at the end of the day, like the artists and the creators are going to come out on top because the great thing about blockchain is the system that really can benefit everybody. It doesn't just benefit one source. Um, similarly to if we look at something like, you know, Brave Browser, which I love and talk about all the time, the fact that the ads reward the creators of the content, whether that's a podcaster or somebody on Twitter or a writer. Um, the fact that Brave ads, 70% goes to the creator and only 30% goes to run that platform. I mean, that's amazing versus something like a Facebook ad where you give $100 to Facebook, $100 is going to Facebook. 70% of that is not going into your audience's pocket from the user's pockets. So I love just the equity there and actually your purchasing power and your attention becomes valuable. And it should be. Yeah, I always think it's funny when um, like how certain, like even Google will ask you if you, when you leave a restaurant, they'll be like, hey, what did you think of that restaurant? Did they have TVs? Was it busy? Like, how are the bathrooms? And I'm like, how am I giving away all this info for free? Like, totally, <laughs> totally. I mean, you are making- Yeah, you're helping the community, but it's like, and that's like maybe how they spin it. But I'm like, this is free intel. <laughs> like, I want to be paid Absolutely. And I up. think that's how it should be. Like, if you, I want to see an app where you're rewarded for your contribution. Because if you leave a restaurant and Google wants to know how clean the bathrooms are, you should be rewarded for being like, those bathrooms are perfect. Definitely go here if only to use the bathroom. Like you should absolutely be rewarded for your feedback and your contribution. Because even though, yes, it's for the community, your contribution is making Google outright yell or outright another thing because they're getting the attention. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a great example. Like that's something you should be rewarded by. If there's a brand that resonates you and you sign up for their newsletter, that should be worth something. Because yeah. you are the most valuable. Well, they do discounts, right? Like sure, but yeah. I feel like it's more about 
Yeah, I guess I can't really spin that one. <laughs> but I feel like um, the thing about something like Brave that's catering to this kind of Web3 economy is Brave is the one that rewards you for engaging with an ad. Right. Because they could know. take that advertiser's money and they could keep it all, mm-hmm. but they're re establishing it into the economy. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's interesting, like it goes back to kind of talking about the metaverse and digital ownership there. Like I studied fashion design in school and I love the idea that I can create a fashion label in the metaverse and people can buy and actually own something that I designed. Yeah. And it's theirs. It's not, it's not something that's just, I think somebody asked me like, what's the difference between something like the Sims in something like Decentraland Metaverse. Okay. And the difference is in The Sims, you can get dressed up. You can even, you know, in any game, like Angry Birds even, you can buy different accessories or different packages. But in the Metaverse, you actually own what you buy. It's not just a part of the game that you're kind of borrowing. So you have that in your wallet even when you leave versus something that's just in it. So you buy the clothes in Metaverse with um, Metaverse or Decentraland coins? In Decentraland, they use Mm -hmm. um, Ethereum, Ethereum. I believe, for plots. And then they use Mana, the Decentraland coins, for a lot of the merch. So it's a mix between those two. Okay. Because um, Mana is an Ethereum-backed token. Right. Okay, cool. So... Yeah, so you own it in crypto. Yeah, like yeah. you hold it in your wallet. Like it literally yeah. belongs to you. It's it's like buying an NFT. So if mm-hmm. I was to go buy like a really epic, like maxi leather jacket, just mm-hmm. like the one I have in real life, mm-hmm. um, I actually have that in my wallet mm-hmm. and I have the unique identifier because it's essentially an NFT. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is super cool. Should we make a thrift store? No waste in the metaverse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if, if you're just sitting on stuff in your wallet, thrift it. Yeah. Or like I'm just, I'm thinking about like estate sales of the future. <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, look at this woman's wallet and like NFT collection and like, you know, like these um, – this leather jacket was handed down from my great grandmother, you know, like, I don't know. I'm like thinking future, future, but like, wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) That's so cool. I mean, I haven't even thought that far, but I love that. It's like, and then you get like a history, you'll see all the people who owned it before you. Right. Cause the blockchain records that. Yeah. Um, It's so wild, but I really, I mean, we're always talking about a crypto witch clubhouse, mm-hmm. which I get really excited by. But the cool thing there is like, well, we can do events in New York City mm-hmm. and we can do remote events. There's something that just seems extra fun about being able to host an event in the metaverse and to meet people's avatars and for them to meet us. And I think it'd just be such a cool thing to build and for people to come in, like our NFTs can be on the walls. Yeah. And then people could even, we could do a gallery at the Crypto Witch Club mm-hmm. house. 
you could do it to Clubhouse. You could do a gallery where we curate art mm -hmm. and we can reach out to people in the metaverse and be like, hey, can we feature this art you own in our gallery showcase? Yeah. Maybe people can bid on it there if somebody wants oh. to sell it. Yeah. Well, I wish I was a developer, like a coder. We'll have to make some books. Yeah, we'll have to find some some witches who know how to code. Yeah, I'm sure there's some out there. Absolutely. Cool. Okay, can we circle back? <laughs> can we circle back to what? We're still in work mode. <laughs> what is a DAO? You mentioned it a little bit, and I'm I'm sort of understanding, but I'm a little. It's fuzzy, and maybe that's because Web three is still growing, and everyone's still figuring it out. Um, but like, what is it? And is it like? going to be a big thing in Web3, right? It's, it's kind of going to be... I think a DAO is like a really exciting new type of community. And most importantly, it's it's really um, a new structure of working. So in a traditional um, structure, when you go and you work for a company, you are paid a salary. You may get share options depending on what type of company you work for. Um, you know, your healthcare is tied to that that company usually for the U.S. Um, and you report to people at the top mm -hmm. in a traditional company. If we look like a if we look at a big one like a L'Oreal or a Peloton, you have you know the founders and the head of the company, the C-suite, the board members, and then it kind of filters down. The cool things about DAOs are they're an alternative to traditional business structure. So a DAO can be kind of either a club or it can actually be a full business in which your contribution and whether that contribution is through talent or whether that contribution is through investing in the token of that DAO, your contribution gives you voting rights. Um, and that's very unique. The thing about DAOs for me, and I think there's this um, account, there's this woman, Chase Chapman, who has really great feedback is there's a lot of work to do in the DAO ecosystem because we're training ourselves and teams and people how to work in this new style. And there's a lot of gray area um, in terms of what are the expectations when you are in a DAO or contributing to a DAO? How do you organize members in that DAO? How do you set standards? And I think that's really what we're seeing currently. There are a lot of exciting DAOs, which it's people banding together to invest in real estate or NFTs. And it's kind of almost like an investment club, which I think is really exciting. And then there's DAOs, for example, that, um, group a team together, a graphic design team or an advertising team, and then they execute on agency work. But I think the question right now is how do we set the standards for DAOs? And when you join a DAO, how do you make sure that you understand the ecosystem enough to contribute and get something out of it? I think we're still in such a growth phase that that training really isn't there. I think there's a lot of 
questions surrounding how to make one successful um, because like it's really community ownership and that just looks very different when you take out that hierarchy like how do you if you, there's nobody to report to above you if you're all even and you all have equal voting rights how do you know what you're expected to do uh, okay I see so yeah it's a lot of communication needed roles and responsibilities okay yeah totally okay. and I think the more clarity people who are building DAOs mm -hmm. um, have and the more communicative they are the stronger the DAOs are well okay so maybe it, could you think of like the United States government as a DAO that you contribute with to financially with your taxes and you participate in the economy. Could you perhaps because yeah. we do have voting rights vote. to vote on members of Congress. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, look what a mess politics gets though. <laughs> like right. I feel like the government's always shutting down because they can't agree on something. Right. So, okay. Cool. Well, I think you just figured out how to explain DAOs in 30 seconds. So I'm going <laughs> to let you take that on for reals. I think it's a really good example. So like two months ago, we released this article on our Medium channel. If you haven't been there yet, check it out. Follow us. Um, that's where we really share all our long thoughts, <laughs> our long format pieces. But this was our most popular Medium article. Over 3,000 people have read it since we launched it. And we did five free crypto resources you need to know. We're obsessed with these resources. These are things we use almost every day. Um, so we thought you'd want to know. Get a pen and paper. And Caitlin, do you want to kick it off? Our favorite resources. So number one is Coin Market Cap. And you taught me about this, Shereen, and this is like really the like go-to spot to get the all the like important deets, like the statistics, right there, easy to see it, easy to read it, um, about the prices, um, all the white pages, um, the circulation, the max, all that stuff. Is just right there, real simple to read. Love it. Next is Coin Particle. And I'm not sure about this one. Can you? Yeah. I so I one. think I, I shared it with you a few weeks ago and you okay. loved it, but I know oh. you've had a lot on our plate, so you probably oh, forgot. Just... So Caitlin's a very visual learner, which is why she is an amazing designer. Um, Coin Particle is really cool because essentially, it's a platform, an app where it shows the crypto, each cryptocurrency's project's growth by the size of a bubble. So think about it like a solar system where like the planets are all different sizes. Yeah. If one crypto had a huge month, it's going to be like this big circle on the feed. So it really shows like these visual pinpoints of exactly what the market looks like in terms of growth and losses for that day, week, month, year, all time. So yeah. in 2021, it was funny because the big 
the big kind of sun, if you will, that everything's kind of going around was Sheb. Yeah, it still is. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's kind of hard to explain, but I think solar system and like planet sizes is kind of the best yeah. way to say what it looks like. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But if your visual coin particle is just really going to help you kind of find new projects, see what's growing. And it was one of my like favorite finds. Cool, yeah. Kind of a more recent find, but it's fun. I remember it now. Okay, cool. And then the third one is hold, the hold app. And yes, I use this one too. And it's cool because you can record all of your crypto there. And it's um, just um, a tracking app. So you can see it all in one spot. And it's like a really um, kind of like sexy techie app. <laughs> like like I am um, kind of like a day trader feel because it's got the can You can look at it with candlestick view or not. But um it's kind of cool. Yeah. It makes me feel very like nerdy and like got my, I got my eye on my investments. Yeah. <laughs> I love it for just like a quick look. Like if I check my portfolio, I always use my whole app because all my cryptos on different exchanges, as is yours, mm -hmm. a portion stake, the portions in a liquidity pool. We have DeFi, we have some centralized exchanges. So it's such a good quick look tool. And also for witches and have to do their crypto taxes this season, it's great to track what you're buying and selling and how you're moving your crypto because if you need to reference it later, you can reference it by the date you bought something or sold something or traded it. So I love that feature. Cool. Okay, so number four is Etherscan. And this is where you check the gas fees, right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. ETH gas fees have been so, so tricky. When we first started with NFTs, I, I used to complain about $30 gas fees. I'd be like, oh, it's $30. I'm not, I'm not buying this. Um, so then that's like, so if you're trying to buy an NFT that's running on ETH, you'll want to check the gas fees before you do that, just so that you can factor that in because it can be like $200 or up to a thousand even on crazy days. Oh yeah. We saw something crazy the other day. Yeah. A thousand. We were shook. Yeah. Um, it's wild, but yeah, I, I love Etherscan. And I mean, I love when NFT projects come on other platforms and you know, your gas fees on Solana or Polygon can be, 50 cents or a dollar but at the end of the day ethereum is the most popular network for nfts and it's where all the really big projects come out of so you want to know how much the nft is really going to cost you with the fee it's it's the place to be for sure it out. okay okay and then the fifth one is zapper and this is also this is similar to the hold app but it's for your desktop, like better on your computer, right? Because the hold is like an app for your phone and Zapper is more like if you're on the computer doing your crypto. Yeah, Zapper is a little different than hold, but they're similar in terms of their, you both track okay. things on it. They're both dashboards for tracking. What's different about Zapper from hold is on Zapper, you can actually 
purchase and you can actually do liquidity pools and staking and buy oh, while okay. holds just tracking. So for example, I don't have any individual logins for DeFi exchanges like SushiSwap or Uniswap or PancakeSwap or Abe. I use Zapper as a dashboard to control all my DeFi. So if I'm in liquidity pools or if I'm staking or if I'm lending, I can do it right from there and track it. And Zapper also um, is the dashboard to then track my MetaMask too. So I know what's in my MetaMask wallet um, that is linked to my Zapper account, which I love. Okay. Cool. So I still, anything on my DeFi, I still put it into my hold app. But it's still like my place to go for like a quick look. But if I'm moving around anything DeFi or um, putting more in or withdrawing um, from a pool, everything is from Zapper. And it's so much better than having a million logins for your DeFi because it's hard to keep keys safe when you have a lot. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is really great. We're going to do five more resources soon, right? Because we have, we have, there's more. I mean, people are building more resources and this is growing times. Yeah, time they're for learning. Totally. It's definitely a time for learning. I mean, I feel like every week, Caitlin and I find like exciting new tools. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, we started putting together this list of five more free crypto resources. So that should be out probably within the week of this podcast or the following week. And we're really excited to share some with you. And we have some female forward, female led resources on this next one too. Cool. So, woo. Awesome. Um, maybe we maybe we could circle back on DeFi. Can you define that? Because we talk about it a lot, but I'm not quite sure what it is. It's such a wiggly line. It took me a while to okay. figure it out. So all cryptocurrency is decentralized, the actual cryptocurrency itself, but not all parts of the crypto economy are decentralized. So we just talked about Zapper, which was, is a great DeFi dashboard and that control, that's decentralized. There's no central party. But a lot of crypto exchanges are centralized. So when you're first starting out, I always recommend starting with a centralized exchange like Coinbase or Gemini, because they're safe, they're easy to use, um, and they're good for beginners. That being said, let's say I purchase $100 worth of Ethereum on Coinbase. Um, if I leave it in my, on my Coinbase exchange, it really belongs to Coinbase because it's not in your custody. So I always recommend if you are working with centralized exchanges, unless you're staking and earning interest by being on that exchange, it's always best to move your funds into a wallet, which is safe. So for example, with Coinbase, if you're holding things on Coinbase, you might want to move it into a Coinbase wallet because it actually belongs to you and it can't be taken from you. And I have a like a word of warning because I had to learn the hard way. Okay. There's about $1,000 in my portfolio that I don't have access to because um, it's my Zill. Zillicue okay. um, tokens. 
when I first got into crypto in 2017, Binance was the exchange I learned how to use. And at this time, I was able, it, it's an international exchange, but at the time, um, I was able as a U.S. citizen to access it. So I got an email, um, or not an email, I logged in to Binance because I was going to move some things around. And it was like, in 10 days, you'll no longer have access to this. We, we have to restrict it to, from U.S. customers because of laws that were basically happening, financial laws. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to move everything out. And my account actually shut down sooner than they said it would. Thank God I moved my V-chain and all my Ethereum out because this was an exorbitant amount of money. I could have literally lost access to in full. The only one I forgot to move, it wasn't worth much of the time, but it was my Zill. So there's like $1,000, $1,200 floating around there. I'll figure out a way to get to it someday. It's still in my account. It's still on there. Um, I don't know if I have to have a file support ticket. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm very lucky. It was a small part of my portfolio, but I literally almost lost my the majority of my holdings. Had I not happened to log into Binance and happened to get that warning, I would have logged in one day and realized I was locked out of my account because I was a US citizen and legally I couldn't access it. So don't be like me. I learned a lesson. What's the lesson again? The lesson is to not hold your crypto, large amounts of your crypto in a centralized exchange because you don't own it. It's under that exchange. The exchange really owns it. You should really only be on there if you're trading it, like buying and selling. Okay. But in general, it's really good to keep it in a wallet, MetaMask, Coinbase wallet, Trust wallet, Ledger. Okay. I'm missing one in there, a big <laughs> one. But um, yeah, I, I, I definitely recommend this. If you're doing something like Coinbase or Gemini, it's really not likely something would happen. This was an international issue. Um, and Binance is a really trusted source. Um, there was just laws that happened that essentially I wasn't able to use that anymore. But um, Yeah. Okay. That was the thing. I will say one thing that you that could happen on Coinbase or Gemini is, um, for example, if you don't update your tax records on there, they can prevent you from withdrawing money or something like that. So there's definitely things to do um, when working with a centralized exchange. But if, if you really want to have crypto, if you really want to own it and it to be fully in your custody, it needs to be in a wallet. Thanks for listening to the Crypto Witch Club podcast. Subscribe and follow us online at Crypto Witch Club.